Well, as you came here together uh, to worship, uh, some of you uh, might have been surprised by the announcement, but we found out earlier in the week that uh, many had uh, heard the leaking of the news that the elders ha- and the search committee have someone to present to the church as, a, as uh, the next senior pastor, God willing, if the, if the church affirms what um, the search committee has been diligently doing for two, two uh, years or so. And and so we made the announcement before the message rather than after the message. And I was thinking about that is, uh, you know, think about it for a moment. There are a lot of mysteries in life. You know, uh, you might have someone say, I, I have a surprise announcement, but is it really a surprise if you already know the announcement before it's announced? Um, and so we thought we would do it that way. I, I came across a list of, of, of things that maybe are those things that you just wonder about and that uh, seem like they don't exactly fit. You know, why, uh, if, a, if a word is misspelled in the dictionary, how would we ever know? Uh, or something like this. How do we say, why do we say something is out of whack? What is a whack? Can anybody have addition for a whack? Uh, or how about this one? Why do slow down and slow up mean the same thing? Or why do fat chance and slim chance mean the same thing? Why are, uh, this one I particularly, why are they called stands when they are made for sitting? Or another one, uh, why, uh, why, why doesn't, or, or relate to what we just shared this morning, doesn't expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expect, expected? Uh, another contrast of terms, why are a wise guy and a wise man exact opposite? And then this one I particularly like because I've experienced this so often. Why do you press harder on the buttons of a remote control when you know the batteries are dead? Anybody anybody can relate to that? You know, so there's all kinds of mysteries in life. And that was one of the mysteries that we know we were sharing with some of you. A surprise announcement that you already knew about. And if you didn't know about it, when you came in, you could read about it. It's on the back in terms of the... The, the board and the search committee are going to present a candidate in a couple weeks for you to uh, talk with and to pray about and to decide uh, as God speaks in your heart about whether he is going to be the next senior pastor for this church. But also as I was thinking about that, things that are somewhat mysterious or don't always make sense and it doesn't quite fit, sometimes that's how people approach this big book. As they read it, there's certain sections you go, I, I, I think I understand it. And other sections you go, what in the world are you talking about? And, and not only when you read some things in, in the scriptures that might be a little bit mysterious or confusing to you, and the Bible does use the word mysterious or mystery, but normally in a, in a way not so much to stump us that, that God is hiding his truth, but more about something that is revealed now that wasn't revealed in the past. But as we think about mystery, we usually use that to say, I'm, I'm a little confused about what is being said. And maybe that happens often when I preach. Uh, but this morning, what I want to do is I, I want us to look at a, a theme or a, a ending of a letter that Peter writes to a group of people that are living in strange times. They have been dispersed. They have, they have gone into a, a new land, Asia Minor, and they're described as aliens and strangers. And they're, they're wondering, what is God doing now? And what should we expect God to do then or later? And Peter writes a letter to them saying, I, I know it's difficult now, but it's only going to get worse. And that didn't necessarily fit with their picture of God. Well, if God is good, it ought to be getting better rather than worse. 
But that's because as we think about God revealed truth to us as we come to know Jesus, he wants us all to realize that coming to Jesus is is awesome. There isn't anything better, but it's not always going to be easy. And and, and so Peter writes into them, and and he talks about, if you divide the book up this way, there's five chapters. In the first chapter, he's saying that, that we ought to have hope because of God's salvation. He's delivered us from our sin and we have a, a great expectation of what's going to happen in the future when we see him face to face. So we have hope in salvation. But we ought to realize that we also have hope and even when we are called to submit, arrange ourselves under, be willing to follow someone we might not want to follow because that's God's plan. And as we think about God having order and God have, putting people in positions of authority, sometimes we're going to be under the leadership of people that we don't necessarily want to. But as we follow God's plan, we have hope that he knows what's going on and uh, we can trust him. And then finally, in the last two chapters of the book, uh, he talks about suffering. Does anybody like, like to suffer here? Uh, why would anybody be, want to suffer? And he says, look, there's a purpose behind suffering. God shapes our character when we suffer. So, and also as we think about that, we identify with Jesus when we suffer because when Jesus came, he suffered for our sake. So this is the letter in, in capsule form. But as you think about that, as he, he urges people to never lose their hope, to be hopeful, which is confident that God is in control, that God... Uh, has our goodness in his heart toward us and we can trust him even though we don't always understand him. And so as he wants us, as we face life in a broken world, still be filled with a confidence that, that he has our future in his heart and our future is only going to be better when we see him face to face. But as he concludes that letter... And as we've gone through this letter, there might have been certain sections that, that seem more um, clear to be speaking in your life and other sections in this letter. And he did divide that letter up, speaking to certain people more directly than others as he's writing to a group of people. He ends, I believe, with just firing at all of us, and I've entitled the message this way, something for everyone. Have you ever gone to a place or maybe even gone to a restaurant and you're looking through the menu and everybody else is ordering and you're looking at the menu and say, there's nothing here that I, what, that I want or like. Well, this is something, whether you like it or not, it's for you and for me. It's something for everyone. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we're going to look at what God has for you and for me. So this is one of those Sundays you can't say, well, this... This doesn't apply to me. It applies to the person next to me or behind me or in front of me or somebody I know that's not here. This applies to you and applies to me. This is for everyone this morning. So let's, uh, let's look at what he says about uh, having something for everyone this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to finish the letter this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 5, just the first part of, of, of verse 5, where Really what he tells us, for everyone, I want you to follow somebody. We've talked about this before. We've all probably played that game, follow the leader. If we didn't play it, we had our kids play that game. And we know know the object of the game. Someone takes off and you're supposed to do whatever they do when they take off. Well, he wants us to think about, well... In real life, if you're going to follow someone, who should you follow? And so this is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5. You with me? Should I start all over? Okay, you're with me. All right, here we go. 
you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And some of you might be thinking, now you told me this was for everyone. This is not for me. I'm not young anymore. I'm, I'm old. Well, I, I think he's saying here in terms of its normal principle, is you think about life, realizing there's still some things you need to learn. Does anybody still need things to learn and to kind of get some things more together than maybe they are right now? And that's how he describes younger men. He said, look, you think you know it all, but you don't really know it all. And so for you to know more than you know now, you need to follow somebody. And you're going to follow someone. Let me give a very simple instruction to you. Follow someone who was older than you. But what I put in your outline this morning is you think about something for everyone. For everyone, be a follower of someone who is wiser. Isn't that good advice? Is that we need to have people in our life that are examples for us. People in our life that we say, you know, I like to be more like him or her. People in our life, they say, you know, they seem to have their act together. Maybe if I did what they did or thought like they thought, maybe my act would get a little bit more together. And so he says this very plainly. You younger men, you people that are a little bit immature, you need to likewise, which is really going back to what he just said before, anyone particularly in their relationship with Jesus, the reason they, they are a little bit further along than you are is because they've been following Jesus a little bit more closely than you have. And the way they follow Jesus a little bit more closely than you have, they found someone with skin on that they could uh, model their life after. Have you heard that little phrase or story about this little boy that was in his room and it was dark outside and he heard all kinds of noises and he cried out for his dad or his mom I forget which one he cried out for and and the mom or dad rushed in and said what's the matter what's the matter he says well I'm afraid I'm scared well, what, what are you scared about there, there there are things out there that are making noises and I can't see them I don't know what they are and and uh, we'll make up the father at the moment the father said well just pray because God will protect you he'll care for you did you believe that God can care for you and protect you and the little boy said, well, yes, 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 but, but I, I, I'd rather someone with skin on, you know, protect me and care for me, right? And, and so what he's saying here is, that, look, I want you to understand is you, you think about following Jesus, that we have the scripture that portrays and defines and describes God and Jesus, but we aren't like the, the apostles during the first century, you know, when, when they were trying to follow Jesus, they could look at him face to face and they physically be with him and, and watch him respond and react to everything in life. And what we have is the opportunity to, to do that through the pages of scripture, but we, we need to follow someone else who's already gone down that path. The apostle Paul said that to, to his followers that would read his writings. says like, be imitators of me as I have imitated Christ. So would we agree, all of us, if we're really going to maximize life out of finding some people that, that maybe are a little bit wiser than us, a little bit more experienced than us, maybe know Jesus a little bit deeper than us and, and want to follow them, follow their example, follow what they have done or what they are doing. And so he challenges them that way. Just younger men, immature men, follow people who are more mature. And, and simply you could say this, for everyone, be followers of someone who is wiser than you. But he goes on, and again, this is all in the framework of saying something for everyone. There's something in the menu that you can focus on saying, you know, this is, this is for me that I tweak how I walk my walk and live my life. 
He goes on in, in verse 5 and he says, And all of you, and I always like the clarity of Scripture. Now, when Peter writes all of you, who does that include? Boy, you are so bright out there. You know, that means this is for you, this is for me. All of you now, all of you clothe yourselves and I'm so glad all of you did clothe yourselves before you came, okay? And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he quotes from the book of Proverbs, which essentially says the same thing there, is if you want to know what God is for and what he's against, who he's voting for and not voting for, he says, I'm voting for people that are humble, and I'm not voting for people that are proud. And we've said this in the past, when you get to heaven, if you're going to get there, and sometimes we reduce it to um, simplicity, but the idea, there are going to be no proud people in heaven. You are, you're going to just be overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God that he allowed you in based on what Jesus has done for you. But while we're here, he says, I, I, every time you get up, uh, it's not a matter of just simply, you know, what, what uh, garments you're going to put on, but make sure you put on humility. Clothe yourself with humility. And he says, toward one another. Now, what, what does it mean to clothe yourself with humility? We better have a good idea what humility is. And what some have said, that humility, and this is so important, is not thinking less of yourself, but simply thinking about yourself less. It's really not about you. It's really not about me. And we live in a culture where the, one of the greatest desires, and for often good reasons, but I think it often leads people possibly astray, is we're concerned about people's self-image or their self-esteem or their self-worth or their, their self-consciousness about themselves. And I, I think there's some things we can do to lift people's understanding or view of themselves, but, but really I think the greater problem is that we have people too preoccupied with themselves. If I thought less about myself, I wouldn't be so worried about what I, I thought about myself. Isn't that agreed? Because I'm more concerned about other people than myself. And that's really what he's saying here. And again, this is, who's this for? All of us, right? All of us, we need to clothe ourselves with humility. And the clothe, it's interesting as writers talk about this particular word. They say this is, this is putting an outside garment on your inside garment. Now, when most of us do that, I don't do it very often because I don't spend a lot of time in that particular room in our house. But if you go into the kitchen and you're going to make something, and normally you don't make something just for yourself, but other people as well, you put on a what? You put on an apron. You put something on the outside uh, of your, uh, an outside garment on your normal garment because in the spillage of work, you want it to take the brunt of uh, uh, what you might do by way of of soiling your, your, your garment. And he said, that's what I want you to do. I, I want you to go through life by putting an outside uh, garment on that gets you prepared uh, to help others and to accomplish your task. And, and, and when you think about that, it really should picture in your mind, this is exactly what Jesus did. In fact, if you want to understand the, the practicality is something for everyone, we're all going to do pretty well if we're really wanting to, to really live out the Christian life, to be a true Jesus follower. When we're a true Jesus follower, we're going to follow who? Jesus. Oh, you guys are so sharp this morning. Okay, we're going to follow Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, in John chapter 13, 
when uh, they had spent a day out in the, you know, the dirt of uh, uh, the land, uh, they came up to the upper room, and it was going to be a special time with his, his uh, best friends, his apostles, disciples, we call them. And as they're basically lying down to have the Passover meal, their, their feet were in the face of the people next to them, all right? And so someone had to do something before they would be prepared for the Passover meal. And that means that someone had to wash other people's what? Feet. Now that was, a, that was the lowest servant's job is to wash other people's feet. And when they were up in the upper room, they were all looking around and saying, I, I, I might not be number one on the pecking order, but I'm not number 12, right? And so no one moved except for who? Jesus. And it says he girded himself with a towel and got the basin and washed their feet. In fact, I was really kind of challenged with this thought is that when you think about humility, and it is a mindset. It's a mindset thinking it's, it's not about me. Other people are more important than me. But, but how do you know if you're humble? You know, it, it, when you're all alone and you're reflecting on the, the, the great mysteries and thoughts of life and you think about yourself and say, I don't, I don't think I'm the greatest thing since whatever you want to put that since whatever. You know, that might mean you think about being humble. It doesn't necessarily make you humble. What shows humility is not what you do for yourself, is what you do for others. We know that Jesus is humble, obviously because he was God become man. But he was humble because he did humiliating things. He was willing to be a servant to others. He, he gave of himself. And so as Peter writes to those who are struggling, and I'm sure they were thinking about, well, I, I didn't sign up for this, all this suffering that's going on, all this thing that's happening to me because I'm a Jesus follower, and Nero is now persecuting these Jesus freaks, you know, these Jesus people, these Christ, Christians. Um, he said, look at you're, you're preoccupied with yourself. Clothe yourselves, put on the apron of humility, and show that by what you do for others. It's an action word. So what do we have this morning as we close out this series on 1 Peter? And I didn't tell this to the first service, but you're all going to get a test before you leave here. You've got to remember everything I said about this letter. He says, okay, this is for everyone. Number one, everyone should have someone they're following with skin on. And what you want to follow is someone a little bit wiser than you. That you can say, I can learn from them. And you know what you can tell a person who thinks they know it all? Absolutely, what? Nothing. So find someone who's wiser and just eagerly follow them. Secondly, is clothe yourself with humility. Be willing to be actively serving others. In the ways you can. Not the ways you can't, but the ways you can. And then thirdly, I would put it this way in the next verse we're going to look at. For everyone... Isn't this a great one? Be one who worries about nothing and prays about everything. Does anybody here love to be concern, overly concerned about something, being filled with worry about what's going to happen next? Does anybody like anxiety? Anybody wish that emotion wasn't part of who they were? Well, Peter writes this for all of us when he says in the next verse, verse 9, he says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, which he's which he's kind of restating what he just said, which he says, sometimes for people to get it, do you, do you have to say it more than once? So that's why I'm going to re-say everything I just said. No, you know, often we have to hear something over and over and over before we get it. So he says right here, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then here's, here's the nugget here. 
that he may exalt you at the proper time, which is when Jesus returned. And then he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, I know I put it this way. Uh, you know, therefore, for all of you, be, be one who worries about nothing and prays about everything. Now, that's my goal in life. I don't have to, I have to admit, I don't always live that out. But, but I know what the solution is to my worry or my anxiety is to pray about it. And the word anxiety is an interesting word in the original language. It comes from a word, word to be divided, and to divide something. And, and normally when we are filled with worry, we're, we're kind of divided in our mind or our spirit or primarily in our emotions because we're, we're not, we're kind of pulled one way and the other way and we're, 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 just, we're just filled with that, that emotion that just divides ourselves in the inside. He said, take that, take that which just burdens you down and cast it to the God who cares about you. And, and the, the word cast is an interesting word as well. It's, it's, it was a word often used of taking like a blanket and throwing on the back of a, a beast of burden, like a, a donkey or a, a horse or a camel. And when you put, you cast the blanket on, what you're going to do is now put a, 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 a burden on that animal. And let's say it was an animal that you were going to ride. And what you're going to do is you're going to put all of yourself on a, a beast, a, a, a donkey, a horse, and a camel. So it would take the weight of who you are and it would carry you from point A to point B. And really, that's the imagery here when he says, okay, for everyone now, for everyone, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. He's saying, now, cast those worries, cast your anxieties, and put it on someone else. And that someone else is God. And God will take your anxieties, or as some translation, and cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Take that care and give it to him. And I'm throwing this in just for free as well. Let's be honest. There are times when we've done it in the past, we haven't always been so excited about the ride he took us on, right? Or to put it this way, that care he, he took, but I, I thought he was going to take it away, and all he did was help me go through it. You understand what I'm saying here? Normally, if I want... God to do something, I want him to take the source of it, completely eliminate it. He doesn't always do that. And when, when we recognize, well, now what he's doing is he's taking that anxiety or care and he's, he's helping me carry it as I go through life, uh, we, we sometimes want to question, well, does, does God really care? Uh, you, you don't have to persuade God to care. When you go to prayer. You don't, you don't have to say, oh, I got to talk God into doing something he doesn't want to do. Have you ever thought about that at times? Maybe I'm trying to talk God into something that I'm not sure he's fully aware of or, or I, I, if I could persuade him, he'll do it my way. Are none of you like me? Okay, I, you know, I try to debate with God and get him to do something that I'm not sure he wants to do. But he's going to do what's best for me and for the people around me. And that's what he's saying here. Look, I want you to understand the reason you can cast your cares, your anxiety to me, because God does truly care about you. God's nature is to care. Sometimes we aren't that caring, but he is always caring. That's, who he is. That's the character of God. 
So what is it this morning for everyone? There's something for everyone here. And I got six points. And I know you all memorize my messages just as well as I get mine down. But in case you don't remember all six points, I want you to take one of them at least and say, this is for me today. This is what I need to reflect upon. It might be, for me, I need to follow, find someone and then follow someone who's wiser than me. Secondly, I, I need to clothe myself with humility. I've been thinking way too much about myself. I need to think much less about myself, think about others, and invest my life in others in a humble way, showing that they are very, very important, and God will take care of my needs. Thirdly, I need to recognize I'm been filled with way too much anxiety and worry, and so I need to worry about nothing and pray about everything. But Peter, just like any preacher, he doesn't end here. He keeps on talking, keeps on writing. And, he, and then he says something else, again, in this close of his letter, where he wants to have something for everyone. He says this, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, we have talked in this book, which is all about being hopeful no matter what happens to you, that as much as anything else, the reason we have suffering in this world is because we live in a broken world. In a broken world, all we have to do is look at each other and look at ourselves to recognize a lot of my suffering is self-inflicted or it's inflicted by other people or just as broken and messed up as I am. But what he's saying here, that we're not just living in a world challenged by man's inhumanity to man. We, we live here in a place where we need to be prepared for spiritual battle. That there is an enemy out there who wants to mess with us. And, and we really believe there is a, a spiritual world out there. And I, I don't think he's dressed in a red, shoot, a red suit with a pitchfork. Okay, I, I don't think he, he has some mysterious looking ways to manifest himself. I'm sure he could manifest himself in mysterious ways. But he's a real being that is not on the level of God, but he has uh, other angelic beings, heavenly beings that have fallen from grace, from the presence of God, and they're out to destroy us. And that's what he says here. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary... You have an enemy. He's the devil, Diabolos. He is the one who is all about trying to mess with you and put fear in your life. And for us to do well in living for Jesus, we need to recognize that we're in a battle. And when you're in a battle, it's tiring, it's overwhelming, it's discouraging, it can be, feel like it's defeating. And, and part of what God, uh, the evil one wants to do is, is sometimes just be apathetic. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm too tired to, to push myself spiritually. And he said, look, you need to wake up. You need to be under control. You have an enemy out there. Now, this is not a message on spiritual warfare, but to put some plain things together. What does our enemy, uh, Satan, the evil one, the deceiver, the accuser want to do? He, he, wants, he wants to lie to us. And part of what he lies, this is the idea in 1 John 2 and some other places as well. He wants us to believe that, number one, that Jesus isn't maybe all he claims to be. He was a good teacher. He was a good leader. But he really isn't God become flesh. 
And that's what he does. He tries to blind the eyes of those who haven't made a commitment to Jesus. But for those who do, he, he wants to say, you're unworthy because, look, how can you be a Christian and think the thoughts you think and do the things you do or don't do the things you should do? And how, how, can, you, how can you say that you're, you love God when you hardly even talk to God and you never read his, his love letter to you? And, and so he's, he's messing with us all the time. <clears throat> and God is constantly saying, look, at, <clears throat> it's all about simply and purely being devoted to Christ is turn your eyes upon Jesus. <clears throat> Don't let the evil one, <clears throat> excuse me, discourage you and put you down. Be on the alert. He's always trying to bring you into spiritual um, despondency and, and, and struggle. And he's saying, look, just rest in me. Recognize I'm there for you. And, and it is a battle, but it's a battle that's been won by Christ. And when we recognize we're on the winning side, that we can, we can stand firm. So again, as we think about what's for everyone this morning, you know, find someone you can follow that's a little bit wiser than you. When you think about your life, you need to make sure you're, you're well-dressed when you get up every morning. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Recognize it. You don't really need to worry about anything, but you can pray about everything. And then recognize that you, you have a spiritual battle. And so when you, you are feeling overwhelmed, there's sometimes good reason to feel overwhelmed because you're in a battle, but, but God is on your side. And, and, and then he goes on and says, okay, here, here's how you deal with the battle. Verse 9, he says, but resist him, this is the evil one, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And so as we think about that, what's something for everyone? Something for everyone here? For everyone, be firm in your faith, knowing you're, you're not alone. Now let's be honest, and that's from the phrase, look at all these things of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There are people all around you are going through what you're going through. Now, it could be as simple as saying, you know, that uh, you feel you've reached a certain age and so you aren't important anymore. You are always important. I mean, there's all this little lies that the evil one can give you. Uh, you're, you're, you're in your walk with God and you say, well, I don't, I, I, there's nothing I can do for God. Well, can you pray for people? When, when you're around people, can you, can you invite people to hear about Jesus? Uh, maybe you think, well, I, I, can't, I can't get out very easily. Well, do you have a telephone? Do you have, uh, do you have the ability to write notes or, or letters to people? There's all kinds of ways you can invest in the lives of other people. But for that to happen, you, you've got to be stable in your faith. You've got to be firm in your faith. You've got to have foundation that does, does not shake your world to the point where you are, uh, you're not prepared for action, as Peter said earlier in this, in this letter. God, God has left each one of you here for a purpose, and God wants you to know that. Uh, you know, as you think about that, the Bible says that, that the evil one, we don't have to run from. In fact, he says, don't run from the evil one. There, there are certain sins, there are certain temptations that we should run from. If, if you've ever had an experience of addictions, you've got to run from addictions. You can't put yourself in the environment where that, that thing which is addictive to you, maybe not to somebody else, but it's to you, you've got to get out of its sight in its environment. But Satan, you can't run from. You know, if you run from Satan, he's going to shoot you in the back. All right? So you've got to face him. The Bible says, it's, it's an amazing promise. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Because greater is he, the living God, who is in you than he who is in the world, which is the evil one. So we're not afraid of Satan. And also, I didn't say this in the first service. There are certain prayers that kind of infiltrate the Christian world. Um, and I, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but, you know, I've been in prayer meetings where people say, I'm praying that, that God, you will bind Satan. You don't have to raise your hand if you've ever prayed that prayer or had somebody else pray that prayer. Well, think about that for a moment. If we could bind Satan and we did it well and God did it well, he would never, he would never raise his ugly head again, right? You're, you're not going to stop Satan by binding him, all right? What you're going to do is by being on the alert, watching for what he's going to do to you, to throw doubt in your heart and throw doubt in your mind. What we need to do is be prepared for whatever he might throw our way. And basically what he's going to try to do is deceive us and tell us lies. So what we are called to do is to be firm in our faith. Put on the armor of God. And here's the key thing. In John chapter 8, Satan is defined as is the father of lies. He's a liar and the father of all lies. He's always trying to tell us that which is not true about God and about ourselves. So how do you confront lies? You confront lies with uh, what? The truth. And so the weapons of our warfare are the word of God and prayer. That's, that's what, that's what uh, defeats Satan. Not running from him, not binding him with some kind of special prayer. It's saying, I can face the evil one with truth, the word of God and prayer. So what is, he, what is, what is Peter doing here? He's giving something for everyone. We, we all need to, to be a little bit wiser. For find someone in our life who's a little wiser than ourselves and follow their example, either close up or from a distance. Number two, we need to clothe ourselves. We need to clothe ourselves with humility by, by actively caring about others more than ourselves. We need to be people who are committed to say, look at, I want to cast my cares upon him, which means I don't want to worry about anything. I want to pray about everything. We need to be people realizing we're in a spiritual battle. So be prepared for it. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be awesome, but it's not going to be easy. And then we need to be people who, who recognize that we are to be firm in our faith and recognize and I haven't talked about this, but this is why the Christian life should not be a Lone Ranger event. You know, why do, why do we come to church? Why do we get in small groups? Why do we have Christian friends? Because we're not supposed to do it alone. We need other people encouraging us, and we need to encourage others. Make sense? Should I start all over? No. All right, so here we go. The last one. Here we go. And I, I, I didn't, I decided not to give you four more points, so I'm doing the last four verses in one point. And really, I'm ending with the theme of the book. What's for everyone? Uh, for everyone, we need to be hopeful no matter what. And he ends like with a benediction about God's goodness and God's provision. He says this. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And if we had more time, I would make a whole sermon out of that, that last verse. The, the, why can we be filled with hope, which is a, a sense of contentment and a sense of, of, of God's power to be in control? How, how can we live hopeful lives, realizing no matter what happens to us, uh, that our present and our future is going to be better because we know God? Because what God says here, look it. I want you to know that you can experience grace which is God's favor. 
Isn't that, isn't that great when you know you have a relationship with someone and you say, well, you know, we're, we're doing good right now. We're, we're, we're in a good place with each other. Well, with God, we, we are in a good place with God because we're under his grace. We're in his grace and we have all of his grace. And don't we all want to have lives in which we can look forward to something? I mean, that, all, that does bring us hope, doesn't it? He says, look, at you, you've called to his eternal glory. It's good now, but it's going to even get better later. And when you feel a bit sh- you know, shaking for what's going on, he says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to perfect you, which really means the things that are wrong in your life, I'm going to repair them and restore them. The word perfect here was used for a word to mend fishing nets. When things are broken in your life, he's the one who can fix them. I'm going to confirm you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to put you on a strong foundation. I'm going to strengthen you, which, gives, which means I'm going to give you the power to act. I'm going to give you the ability to do what I want you to do. And I'm going to establish you. You're going to be able to stand firm. This is the reason we can have hope because God, the God of all hope and all grace and all comfort is on our side. And then he simply leaves with some parting words. Through Silvanus, who's probably another name for Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who was in Babylon, which is probably a code name for Rome, uh, chosen together with you, send you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. So I thought, since I wanted to share something for everyone, I thought this is for everyone. Just turn to the person next to you and give them a kiss of love. No, you don't have to do that. If you think about, you know, being hopeful, we can be hopeful because we're in an environment where we're not only in it, because we love God, but around other people who love God. And if, if we love God and they love God, then we can love each other. And, and so we're in a supportive environment which, which we can say, I've got a hope because I'm not in this alone. And he says, and by the way, peace. Just experience peace in the midst of conflict. Peace to all who are in Christ. So as we think about this book, Be Hopeful No Matter What, he, he really concludes with that. We, we can experience God's peace because we experience his grace. We look forward to the glory of being with him face to face. And in the midst of life now, we get God's power to go through the challenges of life now. And we get God's promise to get out of the pain and suffering we experience now. Because in the future, the Bible promises there's going to be a time where there is no tear, no pain, and no sorrow. Because we're going to be in the presence of God in which he takes all the hopes to be fully realized now that is going to be fully realized in the future. And it will come to pass when we see him face to face. So what's the, what's the so what this morning? The so what this morning is simply so God has something for you. God has something for you to be and to experience because of all he is and what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Now, Father, as we come into uh, our time of closure, Father, I, I just want to challenge all of us to think, well, what is it that God particularly had for me today? For me to live out because this is truth for me to know and to believe and then to experience. Help, help me to be uh, what you want me to be and help me to realize you have something for me today. And Father, if there be someone here this morning that doesn't know you, 
uh, might they make that step of saying, I surrender my life to Jesus. I admit my need and turn from my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again and paid the penalty for that which separates me. I choose right now to commit to know and to believe and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord, my leader, my God uh, for the forgiveness of my sins. Well, help, help us to know you and to live for you. Help us to be your people. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.